Over the last few months, I've gotten used to being the new guy in church, and someone always comes up and introduces me, and uh, so I guess I don't need that here. But um, I thought I'd begin by letting you know a little bit what I've been up to. Um, as district superintendent, of course, our life has changed quite dramatically, as I preach in a different church almost every Sunday, and... Um, and so, yeah, that brings with it its, its own uh, differences from, from what, what I'm used to. And um, one of the things that has taken up a lot of my time the last few weeks is planning for the Alberta Parkland District Conference, which is the end of October. And I, I hope some of you will come as either delegates or, or just to see me or, uh, or something like that. But, but that's up in Sexsmith, October 28th and 29th. Um, and so uh, that's filled a lot of my time. Um, I've been so far to 18 of our free churches in the district. Uh, so obviously a number of churches I've been to more than once, such as uh, this one here. And that's for no better reason than, than that Michael and the others who plan the services have asked me to provide pulpit supply as I've I've so rudely caused you to be without a pastor by moving on to uh, the new ministry that God called us to. Um, and of course, some churches that either, either are building uh, new things and need some help and advice from a district superintendent get a little more of my attention, and those that are in conflict and trouble uh, I've seen more often than the others, and so I'm kind of on track, hopefully, to get to all of the churches in our district by the end of the year or shortly thereafter. I hang out a bit with these guys. Uh, this is the other district superintendents and the, uh, some of the home office staff in Langley, and so um, as district superintendents, we do a lot of the stuff that, that from a, a week-to-week basis in your home church you you don't really realize is going on or or know is happening but just for example one of the things that we've been collaborating with and working really hard together on is is how do we develop new leaders both lay leaders and pastors for the future because we're all struggling to find uh to find pastors to fill the churches that are are without a pastor there's just not a lot of uh of good quality pastoral leadership around uh, these days. And so one of the things that we've, uh, we've put, we're putting together and that we're working on is we, we're, uh, we've made a partnership with Three Hills at the Prairie College. And the idea there is that if any of our young people from any of our free churches want to go to Bible college, uh, we will offer from the Evangelical Free Church of Canada a one-third scholarship. Three Hills... Uh, Prairie College will offer a one-third scholarship, and we're asking the home church to provide a one-third scholarship. And so the tuition for, the, for these free church students will be paid, uh, and then in, re- in response to that, uh, the Prairie College is inviting us from the free church, and that would include myself and the other district superintendents, to come in and teach modular courses that have to do with congregational church government and some of the things that are unique to our denomination. And so those students would continue to be mentored by free church district superintendents through their four years of pastoral studies. And, uh, of course, the hope is that we'll, we'll bring free church pastors out the other end to come to our churches and pastor. 
course, there's no strings attached. They can go wherever God calls them. But we're, we're actively working on, um, on, on seeking for ways to, to fill this leadership gap that we're feeling across uh, not just the free church, but, but really all of the uh, churches' uh, denominations are struggling with this. So just that's something that you don't think about from day to day, but that, that's, that sort of thing is part of my job and part of what we're doing in the free church to seek to uh, fill some of the challenges that, that our churches are facing. As, as you yourselves know very well, uh, looking for a pastor the last months, and, and uh, now uh, I'm, very, I'm very happy to see Don Ford sitting here and, and waiting to take up the pulpit here because uh, he's a, a respected man in my friendships and and he'll take care of you very well I'm sure so it's good to see that happening but as you know and and he knows we're you're still looking for the future so there's a picture of uh, where the churches exist in the in our in our district and so that kind of gives you an idea of my travel itinerary as I go from to these different churches in fact just uh, tomorrow I'm leaving to go back up to Grand Prairie and meet with the pastors up there and uh, and work with them, so that's kind of where where we're at. What what my life has turned into, and we we certainly covet your prayers as uh, these changes have have uh, brought new challenges to our life. But I want to open God's Word with you, and the topic that that I've chosen for this morning is is fighting for the faith, and. Um, the passage is Genesis 32, very familiar story to most of you, and, uh, and Genesis 32, verse 22, the story of uh, where, where Jacob wrestles with God or the angel of the Lord, and I'll just read those verses together with you. During the night, night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant, servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Penel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. A few months ago, in my my work, I had traveled up to the north part of the province, and my purpose up there was to meet with six of our free church pastors for a time of prayer and teaching and encouragement. And uh, so I was up there for a couple of days. And as I was in the hotel room at one point, uh, I received a phone call. 
And the phone call was from the board chairman of one of the pastors that I'd been meeting with. And uh, he stumbled over his words. He wasn't sure how to ask what he wanted to ask. But, but eventually it, it got out that what he, want, he was asking me, what he was asking of me, is if I could meet with the church board. But to meet with the church board without the pastor present. So, of course, I knew right away that there's some tension going on here and, uh, and that I was walking into something that was potentially difficult. I agreed to meet with the board, and, uh, and, but, the, but, the, but the truth of the matter is the phone call wasn't entirely a surprise because I had just that day had lunch with that pastor and his wife because they'd wanted to meet with me without the board. And so, uh, so something was going on here, and I was starting to get a picture of, of what was going on. And uh, the, the issue at hand, I'm not going to divulge any details, but the issue at hand was basically there was a member in their church that was, that was uh, both the pastor and the board agreed was, was a problem. They had to do something about it. Uh, but the board and the pastor disagreed about what they should do about how they should proceed, about how they should handle this touchy, difficult situation. And so they were kind of at odds with each other, the, this board and their pastor. And, um, and so uh, I didn't know what to do either. I mean, it, how do you give advice uh, when you don't really know any of the people? And so, uh, so that, was, that was a challenging meeting, and, uh, and, and I had to face that. And, and as I've as I've considered that incident, along with many other uh, of, the, of the places I've been and churches I've been with, one of the things that has become very clear to me that maybe wasn't so clear when I was, uh, you know, like here in Wainwright for nine years in the same church in the same place, is that every church has its conflicts. We, we sometimes uh, cast our minds out to an imaginary place where there's a perfect church where everyone gets along. And that doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. Every, every church I've visited has, has uh, definitely, many of them are strong and unified. But even there, they've got their issues. They've got their conflicts. So I've, I've had to dive into God's word and, and think about that more carefully and think about that maybe a little bit more in detail. What does that mean? And, and, and uh, I guess I could give you some examples, like, for example, this one. I think the first item on the agenda will be to unload our weapons. Church board meeting. First, I'd like to thank the board of deacons for the exciting opportunity to finally criticize the pastor in in official capacity. (laughs) That's what you get if you get elected onto onto the board, right? Instead of doing it behind his back, you can do it on the board in front. But these things, I mean, we laugh at them. They're partially true. Um, and so I've thought about that. I've been thinking about that. What does that mean? Does that mean our churches are horrible? Or does that mean we're not following God properly? Or does it perhaps mean something else? And, and I want to share with you a little bit where God has taken my thoughts. And it's not because I've heard of any ongoing conflicts here in the Wainwright Church. Uh, I, I knew of some when I was here. And some we resolved, and, and some were standing uh, issues where we had differences. Uh, and and um, as far as I know, things are still fairly unified. But, but just in terms of how we think about church. And the thing that, that, that 
caught my attention with this story of conflict here is this name change. And I've thought about it in a different way than I did before. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel. From this time forward, the people of faith, the people of promise, the people of God, have been known as Israelites. Now think about that for a moment. If you were to pick from all the Old Testament Bible characters that you know, someone to name God's people over, would you have picked Jacob? I mean, maybe you would have, picked, would have said Abrahamites. I mean, he's the father of faith after all. Uh, he had his, his issues, but they weren't as serious as Jacob's issues. Um, we do often see in the God's word uh, the, the children of Abraham, so he gets some, some of the credit there. But they're not known as the Abrahamites. And even to this day, we, we have a, a place that's called Israel where the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob reside. This name has stuck. Israelites. They're not called Mosesites. They're not called Josephites. Joseph was perhaps the, the biblical character with the least scandal attached to his name. But God chose Jacob who became Israel as the one whom he would name his people after. And that has resonance even up till today for us, because if we, if we look, for example, at Romans, Romans chapter 11, verse 17, we read that, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, that is, the Israelites, have been broken off, and you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing of God that God has promised to Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So while we don't use the name frequently in the New Testament Christian church, it's, it's correct biblically and theologically to refer to ourselves as Israelites. We've been grafted into the branch, into the vine, and, uh, and, and the people of Israel, some have been broken off, and we've been put in there instead. And so even till today, it, it's, it's, it's appropriate. God has chosen to identify his people with this name. The people of faith. And, and of course, many of you know what, what this name means, don't you? The word Israel means the one who struggles with God. The one who struggles with God. Why would God choose that as the name that would follow his people, that would illustrate the kind of faith that he desires from his people over the many generations and millennia? So that even till today, based on Romans 11, we, could, we can rightly call ourselves the descendants, the children the people who carry on this faith story. Those who struggle with God. When we look at Jacob's life in particular, I don't think that this, this incident described in Genesis 32 that I just read to you, I don't think it represents a, a dramatic conversion experience. I think what it represents is accumulation or a or a coming to a, a head 
the actual experience of his life going all the way through. It's not out of character with the way Jacob experienced his relationship with God. We could go through each of the incidents, but I'll just take the most familiar. You ever heard of Jacob's Ladder? Sunday school story, Sunday school song? Probably the most well-known story from his life. So just just think about that story for, for a little bit. God had given the promise that contrary tradition to tradition, contrary to family custom, contrary to what was was usual at that time, the blessing and the promise of the family was going to pass to the younger son, not the older. So that was God's promise. Jacob believed it. Jacob had faith that God would do this. But then when the time came for his father to die and that blessing to be passed on, he didn't have faith on how God was doing this. He couldn't see how it would happen. And so so he kind of... Uh, colluded to, to help God out and bring about that thing that he knew God wanted. Do you think not that he believed he was acting out of faith? I mean, the, the story doesn't specifically say that, that he was or wasn't. But he was thinking to bring about that which, that which by faith he knew God desired. Is that a bad thing to do? Seek to bring about what you already know God desires? And yet it turned out so terribly badly that his own brother, his own twin brother, vowed to kill him. And so he had to flee. And if I was writing this story, either Esau would catch him and kill him and he'd get his just revenge, or he'd escape and leave the story. But God met him that night. And showed him a vision of a ladder from heaven and the angels. Making it clear that I am still with you. And I will still fulfill my promise. And a day will come when you come right back to this rock which you have rested your head on. And my promise will be fulfilled. So we have three things in that story. And, And those three things are present in each of the stages of Jacob's life. We have God's promise... We have Jacob seeking to fulfill God's promise, but doing it very badly. Sounds kind of human, doesn't it? And then we have God reiterating his promise and saying, my promise will not be broken, even though you've messed up in your efforts to fulfill it. And that, my friends, is struggling with God. Jacob was struggling with God. He wanted to do what was right, but he did it badly. He did it wrongly. He did it inappropriately. He did it partially with faith and partially in faith in himself rather than in God, not willing to wait for God's time and way in which it would happen. He was struggling. He was struggling to be a person of faith. He was not finding it easy. And he was messing it up from time to time. And so this is the story of his life. And then we get to this this culmination in chapter 32. Where depending on how we interpret the passage, he was wrestling with an angel or with God himself. He he believed in, in the script there that he came face to face with God that night. And God changes his name. 
from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means he who struggles with God. And we, right up until today, have carried that name forward. What does it mean to have the kind of faith that God truly desires from his people? It means to be people who have the strength of conviction to struggle, even when it gets hard, even when they get it wrong, to keep on fighting for the faith. Now, maybe, maybe I'm overemphasizing it with just this one story from God's word and this one man, but, but let's just consider that for a moment. Do you remember Abraham when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He struggled mightily with God in prayer. And God spared a few. Remember Moses. When he came down from the mountain and, and, and the children of Israel were, were worshiping idols. And God said, I'm going to destroy these people and restart the line with you, Moses. And Moses struggled mightily with God on the mountain. Remember, have you ever read the Psalms? Now, we go through the life and the stories of, of King David, but we just have to open the Psalms to see that, that he struggled with God in prayer. Many of his prayers are, are, are more along the lines of fighting with God and arguing with God or complaining to God. And many of them are full of faith and passion and worship as well. It's all there. But David was a man who struggled with God. Remember Peter? When the struggle was so intense that Jesus himself said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't think that was a struggle, an argument between Peter and the Son of God? And I remember, remember Paul when he wanted to go one way in his missionary journey and he finally got to the place after several tries to say, the Holy Spirit prevented us from going and doing what we wanted to do. He was struggling with God. He, he had part of God's will right. I'm to go out and preach to the Gentiles. But he had part of it wrong. He thought he was supposed to go here. And God said, go this way. And it resulted in a struggle that ultimately was resolved. Do I need to go on? Have you ever read the book of Jonah? There's nothing in there but struggle with God. Have you ever read the book of Habakkuk? God was sending a, an evil army to bring discipline upon the children of Israel, and Habakkuk thought that was wrong. And the whole book is Habakkuk's struggle with God to understand what God was doing. Let's go back to that church. I met with the pastor. I met with the board without the pastor. I was fresh in this role as district superintendent, pretty intimidated by giving advice to a situation like this. But I went through about three hours, I think, with the board, the kind of things I've just been talking about. And I asked them, what kind of pastor has your pastor been? And they could easily list his good qualities. They could easily list the good ministry he had had and was having in their church. And I asked them, well, do you think in this case where you disagree with him that his heart's in a different place than it was in these other situations? 
They said, no, I guess not. Said the same thing to the pastor, unbeknownst to him. You know, they didn't know I was meeting with, with each party. I said, you've worked with this board. You've worked with these men. Have they been faithful men? Have they been good men who keep, who, who truly desire to do the things of God? And the pastor was, yeah, they, that's the kind of people they are. And in those conversations, uh, without being together, both the board and the pastor realized that their struggle was not with each other. Yes, they had a difference of opinion. It was strong enough the past, that the pastor was considering resigning. Uh, and, and, and he didn't want to cause a big fight in the church, so he was considering stepping back. But they realized our, our fight isn't with each other. We, we, we all want to do God's will here. But we disagree on what God's will is, which means we probably, none of us yet know exactly what God's will is. And so it was a struggle. It was an intense struggle. And uh, they've worked it out. They got back together with this perspective that it's not, it's not wrong. It's not out of character with what the Bible describes as a life of faith. To be in a struggle. To be in a fight together. In fact, I would submit to you today that it's exactly the opposite. Do you remember in Revelation which kind of Christians God would spit out? The lukewarm. The ones that say, I'm a person of faith, but I don't really hold it strongly enough to ever get into a fight over it. Ah, whatever. No, that's not the kind of faith that God desires. He desires the kind of faith that produces struggle. The kind of faith that even when we get it wrong, we keep going. We're not going to give it up. We'll try again. And that, because we're all human, that, that automatically means we're going to get, get into disagreements with one another. It's inevitable because none of us really know exactly what God's will is and we often get it wrong. It requires an intense humility for that pastor I'm talking about to go back to his board and say, I have no reason to distrust you guys, but I just don't see it the way you see it. Can we talk further? It's going to be a hard talk. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an argument. But I trust that you want God's best for our church and for the board to go to the pastor that they'd been quite harsh with at a board meeting. That ended badly. Sam, sorry, I don't think we really listened to you. We, we trust that you want God's will for our church and for this member. Can we, can we try again? Can we listen again? Can we argue again? Until we come to that agreement where we know what God wants. That's the kind of faith God's after. And for a church to to always be in harmony and never struggle probably means a bunch of lukewarm Christians who don't really take it seriously. But there's one more thing in Jacob's story that I want to close with, and I've left it to the end because it's probably the most important piece. I don't want you to forget this. 
just before God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, Jacob said something else. I will not let you go until you bless me. And I think that was the precondition for what came after. What does that mean? That means that despite the struggle, despite the fact that Jacob was struggling with God, struggling with his faith, he had an unwavering covenant relationship with God where he would never leave God and God would never leave him. Doesn't matter how hard it gets. Doesn't matter how bad it gets. This fight is not somewhere, this fight exists within the hands of God. There's no option to go outside of the hands of God for Jacob. I will not, I will not let you go. So there's a parameter, there's a boundary around this struggle. There, there's no, there's no possibility given here between Jacob and God that Jacob would then go and seek another God or seek another way. This was going to happen in the hands of God. He wasn't going to step outside of that covenant relationship. It was solid. It was firm. It was never ending. And we see from, from even Jacob's ladder or some of the other stories that God's commitment to his people was the same. So this is, this is where I'm ending, but this is where, where you need to start, where I need to start. Is my commitment to Jesus that firm that it can withstand a struggle? Because the struggle will never put into question the basic relationship. Is it that strong? Is, that, is it that firm? Because if your relationship with God does not have that firm characteristic to it, then yes, fighting with one another and fighting with God is a very dangerous proposition. But if it has that backing, that covenant relationship backing, well, we're going we're gonna to go back and forth a bit till we agree what God wants us to do as a church, as a people, as a couple, as a family as an individual. But that back and forth will never go outside of the gracious, loving, strong, wise hands of God. And, and that's what gives us the confidence to be able to go there because he has promised to give us wisdom. He has promised to forgive us. He has promised that we will be able to forgive one another. He has called us to humility and grace. So even as we disagree, we do it in the characteristic of that kind of relationship. And we think, you know, you couldn't go any better than Peter and Jesus as they argued. And that's a pretty strong argument to call your friend the devil. There's some pretty high emotions there. But their relationship wasn't in jeopardy. Peter was going to be the rock upon which the church stood and was built in their early days. And so there we see again, the person that's given that responsibility is the one who has the same kind of faith that Jacob did. 
the kind of faith that's confident enough to enter the struggle. So as I've traveled around a little bit to different churches, I've come to a deeper understanding that that a good church is not necessarily a church that never has a problem. A good church is one that experiences the problems that every church has within the covenant hands of God. And is strong enough. Like, Like if you really believe this is what God's will is, you should fight for that. And someone else in the church is going to think something else is the right decision. And that's going to cause a problem. And if you're the kind of people that just let it go, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care what God's will is. We'll just do what's easy and what what doesn't cause a conflict. That's not what God's after. But there is a way to do it where we maintain love and relationship despite the struggle. That's how we become strong together. This exact same idea is, is mentioned to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, using a different, a, not, not a wrestling match, but a different type of uh, illustration, but I think it's exactly the same teaching. I'll close with these words. Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. It's a different kind of illustration, but the same struggle of faith described to us. Good Christians fight for the faith. They hold strong convictions. They love one another despite their differences. And they believe with all their heart that God has put you together in this church because in the conversations and even arguments that you have, God's perfect will will be revealed. Then you can follow it together. Because the eyes of many are better than the eyes of one.